Good afternoon. Welcome to the Northern Collective Church. My name is Harrison Kwok. Thanks for joining us online. If this is your first time with us, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Please go to northerncollective.church and uh, contact us that way. Our mission here is to know, love, and serve Jesus Christ while teaching all people to do the same. Our vision is to see thriving gospel-centered churches in all Yukon communities by making disciples that make disciples. Our hope is to see many, many people throughout the communities in the Yukon come to know Jesus. And we want to see and build and perhaps start new churches that build new communities where people can know and hear about Jesus regularly. And it's my privilege to pastor in Whitehorse in Yukon's capital and to see people inspired and called to go to different communities to see God's work continue. Uh, please be in prayer for Brent and Jody Ristow as they continue to minister and make disciples in Carcross. And pray for our church as we continue to make and build relationships with people in Pelly Crossing. It's been a few years now uh, where we've been trying to hold a, a sports camp for the children and the youth there, and um, it hasn't happened for restriction reasons, and we hope that this year we can we can go to Pelly Crossing and, and just be a blessing in the name of Jesus. Again, if you want to connect with us, please go to northerncollective.church, or you can message us on Facebook uh, right now. Just basically one announcement before we continue. Um, as you tune in online, you're only going to hear the message. We won't have any singing or musicians. And uh, we're not going to have any physical Sunday gatherings until further notice. And it's due to um, some of the government restrictions. I, I would ask that you pray for the churches across the Yukon and across Canada that might be affected by some COVID restrictions. Um, I'd also pray that you would, you, you pray to God that the Yukon and across Canada, that churches would be considered an essential service. Pray for governmental leaders, those who make many, many heavy decisions on a daily basis. Uh, pray for them. And maybe consider writing an email, writing a letter, or calling our government officials and saying how how the church is beneficial for your soul, for your spirit, for your mind, and how you go to church to honor God and to honor your community. If we don't have music today, we won't be having music today. Um, I would ask you to consider listening to a group called Sovereign Grace Music. Sovereign Grace Music, look them up on YouTube or wherever you find your music. Um, they are a great band that gives really solid lyrics in their music. And for the kids, consider looking up Jumpstart 3. Jumpstart 3. Jumpstart3.com has uh, videos that are theological, that are biblical, and that are catchy for children. Uh, I know for my own kids, uh, they listen to this one song called Books of the Bible. So it goes through all the books of the Bible in this song, and it's very catchy. And, and they're learning a lot of them. They're memorizing a lot of these uh, books and where they are because of this great song. And maybe for the kids and for the parents that are watching, uh, consider doing a book exchange. Whatever you have in your kids' library uh, that are about the church, about the Bible, uh, maybe consider starting a group, uh, bringing, bringing books to church 
when we, when we can gather and exchanging books and uh, just sharing what we learn with each other, I think that'd be great. And so I'm going to take a moment to pray now, and uh, we will get into the book of Ephesians. We'll be in chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness. I pray that as your word has gone throughout the Yukon already today, and as I'm speaking online through Facebook, for those listening, would they be encouraged by the gospel? And maybe they're hearing this message for the first time. Would you soften their hearts and their minds to hear what you have to say, that they would love you and adore you? And would you guide the churches in the Yukon as we're facing new restrictions um, amidst the rise of this virus? Guide us as leaders, guide our government officials, that they would make decisions that honor you. And for those of those who do not know you, that are in political realms, would you save them, Father, that they would learn from your word and they would act upon it. And we pray for those who cannot gather and how difficult that can be for families, that you would be their hope and their rest. And they would know your amazing love throughout times that are very confusing, that are very lonely and dark. Would they find joy and light in you? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in Ephesians chapter 1. We've been doing a series through Paul's letters to the church in Philippi, to the church in Ephesus, to the church in Colossae, and to a friend named Philemon. And we're going to go through these four books. We've already finished the book of Philippians, and you can find our messages on the website, northerncollect.church, or Apple Podcasts, or on YouTube. We've started the book of Ephesians, this letter that Paul is writing to the people in Ephesus, this very, very prosperous and rich city, and a city where there are many different gods that people worship. And so Paul is writing this letter from prison. He wrote all four of these letters in his two-year imprisonment. And this section, in verses 15 to 23 is a prayer of thanksgiving. And it's much like the section formerly in verses 3 to 14 in Ephesians. Paul was so passionate about the glory and the praise of God and so thankful for what Jesus has done for them. He goes on this record-setting song, essentially, this 200-word single sentence in the Greek proclaiming how amazing God is. And I think it's worth reading. We're going to go back to Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll start in verse 3. And we'll just listen to this amazing song of Paul, saying how God awesome is. And the following section, which we'll get into today, is how, God, how Paul wants us to know this awesome God. So Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. We're just going to read it and try to capture again the passion of Paul. 3 to 14. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. 
Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us, who belonged to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us, along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews, who were the first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and he has purchased us to be his own people. And he did so so that we would praise and glorify him. So Paul's saying, God is so amazing. And through Jesus Christ, he's forgiven us our sins. Despite who we are and what we've done, God has sent his son to offer forgiveness. And Paul's saying, how amazing is that? How awesome is that? There is no other God like this. There's no other king like this. God is awesome. So that's what he's saying in this section of Ephesians 1. And now in verses 15 to 23, Paul wants us to know and experience how awesome he is. And he opens, and this is a prayer. Verses 15 to 23 are this prayer. Praying that the church would gain this deep insight into how awesome God is, that they would know the power of God, that they would know the rich gifts in Christ. And so that section was 200 words, a single sentence of him just saying, amazing, amazing grace and amazing God and an amazing Christ. And this section is 169 words, no commas, no periods of this spectacular prayer. And I think this prayer has much to teach us. And we should reflect on this prayer. Paul is praying that we are to know God better. That we are to know God better. If you're a Christian, do you know God better this year than last year? Than the previous five years? Do we know him better? Paul is praying to that end. That this year, that this day, you would know God better. He also prays that you would know of God's amazing gifts towards you. His salvation, His mercies, His grace. Do you know these things? Or do you experience these things? Are they just in your head? Is, this, is the Bible just a textbook? Or is it personal? That we would know the riches that God provides us. 
not monetarily, but the gift of salvation, the gift of his mercy and kindness towards us, the gift that says, I am with you now into the end of the age. That is amazing. So not only would we know God better and know his riches, but that we would know his power. Paul says we would know the power that God has towards us, the power that God has for being God, the universe breather, the life giver. God needs nothing to come into existence. He is self-existent. He has always been. He always will be. Everything that is not God relies on God to exist. You and I rely on God giving us breath and our lungs to operate. The power of God, Paul says, is fully shown and demonstrated in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which we'll learn about in this section. So again, Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. I'll read all of this and we'll explain what Paul's trying to teach you and I in his prayer. And so he opens in verse 15. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped. I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given those he called, his holy people, who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. When we read Ephesians, you can just hear the rich praises that Paul gives to God. And here he's saying, I pray that you would know this. I pray that you would know this amazing God and how powerful he is. God is so powerful. And when we say someone is powerful, we don't, we don't use a very mundane example. Like when, when kids have these arguments like, oh, my dad could wrestle your dad and beat your dad. You don't say, oh, my dad's so strong, he can, he can open a Coke bottle with his bare hands. No, you, you would give some example where your dad fought off a... A, an army of grizzly bears with his bare hands. That's where we would go when we talk about powerful people. What Paul is saying about God and how powerful he is, 
He's not giving some mundane example. He's going to the top shelf. And Paul's saying, God raised Jesus Christ from the dead on purpose by his own power and seated him in the heavenly places. No one can do that. There is no technology we have to raise people from the dead. When people die, they are gone. God says, I am going to raise my son from the dead. And then he did it. Why? To his own praise and glory. And for the forgiveness of sin. And to show that anyone who believes in Jesus, anyone who believes in Jesus, puts their faith in him, relies on him, will not experience death themselves, God will resurrect you. This is an amazing power, an unheard of power in Ephesus that has over 50 different gods. And the people of Ephesians, they follow and believe and trust in this god Artemis. They consider her the god of the afterlife. Yet she has no power. She's a false god. Paul is saying, God's power is infinitely greater than all of your gods in Ephesus. Than even Artemis. This is the power of God. And this same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead, Paul says later to the Roman church in Romans chapter 8 verse 11, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is in you. You who believe, that power is in you. That is incomprehensibly mind-blowing. That as we go through the trudgery of life, we need groceries. We need to shovel our driveways. We need to keep warm in very cold Yukon weather. In fact, Yukon yesterday, side note, the communities in the Yukon, many of the communities in the Yukon, including Whitehorse, were the coldest places on the planet yesterday. But I digress. Paul is saying the power that lives in you is greater than the cold weather. But who controls the weather? God. And that power isn't, isn't even at the top of Paul's list. Paul's saying the resurrection is. The resurrection of Jesus is at the very center of God's plan to restore the universe, to restore our broken relationship with him. At the center of all of this is God raising Jesus from the dead. If Jesus is not raised from the dead, Christianity doesn't exist. It is a false religion. But if he did, we have to come to terms with that. And that's what happened to my heart and my soul and my life in 2009. When I hated Christ and any religion and God and I hated Christians, I had to come to this fact that Jesus Christ is alive. And he is here and he is coming back. And what am I going to do with that? Continue to deny him or follow this amazing, powerful God? I chose the latter. I chose to follow him. And one Christian writer said this. If the death of Christ, if the death of Christ is the supreme demonstration of the love of God, the resurrection of Christ is the supreme demonstration of his power. I'm going to say that again. If the death of Christ is the supreme demonstration 
of the love of God. That's what Christians say. God loves you. God loves you. Christ died for you. He continues, the resurrection of Christ is the supreme demonstration of his power. No one has this power. And in Rome at the time, they thought the Roman emperor was a god. And Ephesus is a Roman colony and a Roman community. They would think the emperor is God. They would think Artemis is this great god. But they are under Christ's power in this world and in the life to come. God is putting everything under the authority of Christ. That's what, that's what Paul is praying in verse 22. And so that's what Paul is teaching us, that everything is put under Christ's authority. In other translations, it says, everything is put under Christ's feet. And this is an Old Testament expression. It's referring to when, when kingdoms conquer an enemy. In Psalm 110, for example, in the first verse, it says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. Sometimes during biblical times, kings would place their feet on these statues or, or artistic depictions of their enemies to show their power. In addition, they would, when they defeated generals or other different kings, they would force these generals or their kings to literally bend over and be used as stepping stools or footstools under the victorious king. And so that was, that's what Paul is saying. Everything is going to be put under the authority of Christ. Everything is in fact under the authority of Christ. So the Ephesian Christians, Paul is praying, they need not fear the powers and the principalities and the spirits of this world. Nor should any Christians today fear these spiritual powers. They're but a lie because the power of God is far greater than any spirit in our community. And so, so Paul is saying, if Christ is the head and the authority of all things, Christ makes this amazing illustration in saying, and you who believe, you in Ephesus, you in Whitehorse, you in Alabama, you in the North Pole, you in Hong Kong, you believers of Christ, wherever you are, you are part of the body of Christ. Jesus so identifies himself with us with the church, that he says we are his very body, the church, the global church, meeting locally. We are people filled with Christ, and we fill all of creation as representatives of Christ. That's what it means to be his body. We are part of this intimate relationship with Christ. And so when part, one part of the body is doing well, we should rejoice. And when one part of the body is not doing so well, sometimes we have to help, sometimes we have to compensate, and sometimes we have to mourn that. But there seems to be so many divisions in the body of Christ 
that we yell at each other, that we are dividing each other. And this shouldn't be. We have to ask ourselves, are we thankful for the faith and the love that other Christians have? Do we rejoice in that? Are we thankful when other Christians are doing well spiritually? Are we thankful to God even when we have nothing to do with a certain victory, with a certain success? If there's nothing to do with us, do we rejoice? Or do we tend towards mockery or cynicism or skepticism? Are we thankful for the good things that happen to other churches? Or do we dismiss it? We should be united. We are a body. We are a family under Christ. Yet some of this division within the church does come from true professing born-again believers. But it may also be true that Many professing Christians believe they are Christians when in fact they are not. There might be people within churches that think they are Christians, but they in fact are not. And they follow a different spirit of the age. And, and this is true throughout the scriptures. In the book of Matthew, it talks about people coming before Jesus during a time of judgment, and the people say to them, people who believe they're Christians, people who grew up in the church and did, did many, many things in the name of Jesus, they would say to him, Lord, Lord, haven't we done this in your name? Haven't we cast out demons in your name? Haven't we named you amongst the nations? Lord, Lord, haven't, we, haven't you seen me? And Jesus responds, I don't know who you are. I don't know who you, I don't have this deep, intimate relationship with you. God knows everything. Christ knows everything. But there is a knowing here that speaks of a, almost like a husband and a wife, a knowing that is deep and intimate. I don't know you. You've played church your whole life, but you've never loved me or known me. If this is you, Christ is giving you an invitation to put that life to death and be truly born again. And he has forgiven you. That's what Paul is saying. Do we really know Christ? Are we really in him? Is he in us? Does he know us? The Ephesians, these believers in, in Ephesus, they seem to know Christ. Yet Paul is praying that they might know him better. To have, as one writer put it, a, quote, real, deep, full knowledge of Christ. Do we have a real, deep, and full knowledge of Christ? I'm not talking about just memorizing doctrine or memorizing the Bible even. I'm saying, do we know a person for who they are? Not things just about them. Do we know them? Paul is saying, for those who do not know him, I pray that you would know him. 
For those who do know him, I pray that you would know him better. The world says, in complete contradiction to what Paul is saying and what the Bible says, the world says, know yourself. That's the key to life. You need to know yourself. Paul is saying, no. The key to knowing yourself and the key to life is knowing Christ, is knowing God through the Holy Spirit. The world says, know yourself. The word of God says, know God. Know God. This is the greatest need of any church. This is the greatest need of any pastor. This is the greatest need of any single person, any married person, any grandfather, grandmother, aunt, uncle, child, adult. Know God. That is the great need for all of us. Whether a church is healthy or not, we must know Christ. And that is the path towards healthy churches being planted throughout the Yukon, throughout the Northwest Territories, Nunavut, Alaska, throughout Canada and around the world. People who know Christ and who want to gather together to share of how amazing God is together. This is what the local church is. A family gathering together to express their gratefulness to this amazing God whom they know. This is what evangelism is. You don't know God? Let me share about Him. Let me share this God that I know in hopes that you too would know Him and that you too would be welcomed into this family that Christ has created for us. This is what we should pray when we pray for the church and for others and for our politicians and for everybody, that they would know God. Paul wants us to see the immeasurable greatness of God's power towards us who believe. He wants us to see that. Jesus prayed similarly. And what we just went through in Ephesians 15 to 23, it's almost like Jesus sums it up in, in the book of John. John chapter 17 in verse 24. This is how Jesus prayed. He prayed like this, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you love me before the foundation of the world. Christ is praying himself that the people, that you and I would see his glory, and that we would be with him. That's how Jesus is praying. Jesus wants me and you to be with him. He doesn't want us just to be on staff or as an intern or as someone that Jesus knows through another person. Jesus wants to know you. And he wants you to see his glory and to share in it. There's a pastor, his name is John Piper. His, his writings have changed my life. He's taught me the joy of Christ. He's taught me so much about the Bible. I've never met him, but just through his, reading his books and listening to his messages, he said this about God's glory and about experiencing it. That God's glory is not something just to be, just to be known intellectually and celebrated superficially. 
but his glory is to be experienced. God is sharing his glory so that we could see it and experience it. The Bible says that we would see and taste and know that God is good. That is the highest good for each of us, to know God. May we, in this new year, in this new day, wherever you're listening from, would this be our highest pursuit? Would we reprioritize our lives to this end? And when we do things, we ask ourselves, does this help me to know God? How can I shape my life and my day-to-day activities, no matter how humdrum and mundane, how can I do so? Like Paul says in Corinthians, whether we eat or we drink, we do so to the glory of God. Let us take a moment in reflection. Let us take some time in his word to see how we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind to give all praise and all glory to God and experience his glory ourselves. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we can read Paul's prayer. It's so rich, it is so deep, it is so lovely. Lord, would you help our own hearts that we would see and experience your glory. It's so hard at times when the world can often be so chaotic, our lives full of turmoil, and darkness seems to come and flood our lives from every angle. We pray that the light of the gospel and that your amazing power that rose Christ from the dead would transform our hearts and we would have an incredible peace and joy knowing you are with us. And as we see your glory, we would be transformed from one degree of glory to another to the praise of the matchless name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.